Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. has placed within the church those in areas of responsibility in order to be able to equip the entire body in order that the entire body then we all go out and work the work of ministry. I can ask for a raise of hands tonight and say, how many of you are ministers of the gospel? And you know what? If you know Jesus, your hand ought to go up. You don't need an ordination paper for that. You don't need Bible school for that. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are called by Christ, according to his word, to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have placed your life in Jesus' hands, then you are a minister for his kingdom. Pastor David teaches you today that as a Christian, you're called to share Jesus and his love with others. To keep what you know of him hidden is a sin. If you're guilty of this, it is now time to begin to change things. Ask Jesus to place in your heart. Ask Jesus to place in your heart the people that he wants you to share him with. Seek out the answers to questions that the faithless might have and pursue them so that you might know the kingdom of God. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Paul's Prison Epistles. saved in order to do good works, the things that God has called us to do, those things that literally he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. No, I'm not saved by good works, but because I am saved, God expects me to live a life that glorifies him. And you got to keep moving because if you keep preaching on every verse, you're never going to get done. Okay, at the end of chapter 2 and moving on into chapter 3, Paul declares the fact that, that God's plan from the very beginning, from the very beginning, was to call both Jew and Gentile, to call all the world, to call the whosoevers of the world to him. Look with me, if you would, verses uh, in chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14, if I can find it. There he is. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. And here, again, in the context of things, we understand that Paul is talking about both the Jew and the non-Jew. He has made both one. He has broken down that middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so that as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity or that division, that battle that was there between Jew and Gentile. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you, speaking to the Gentiles, to you who were afar off 
and to those who were near, to the Jew. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So again, in, 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 in speaking of that, he speaks that there, there's only one way, only one uh, ability, and that's through Christ, through him, and by one spirit, we have that access to the Father. Now look down, and, and we're having to skip through some, but look down in chapter 3. Verse three and four, uh, and again, he speaks how that by revelation, he, the Lord, has made known to me, Paul writing here, the mystery as I've briefly written already. And so you're thinking mystery, what mystery is that? Hold on, he'll tell you. The mystery I've already written by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Look down in verse six that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. What is the mystery that Paul's saying? Is that again, Jew and Gentile are saved the same, that he has called the Gentiles to himself just as he did the Jews. Look down in verse eight and nine. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And then with that, he breaks out in this great, I believe it's a, a song of praise. It, it's written down, I, but I wonder, man, if they ever put it to music. Again, what a, what a great song it would be. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the very love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And then he puts an amen in there. I think that as Paul writes this stuff, and and again, I can just see him, he's dictating to his secretary or the, the scribe there, and he's probably, okay, this is speculation on my point, okay? I just want to make sure you know this, this is speculation. I believe that he's just walking around that house, and the Lord is speaking to him. And as he's saying and these things, as his scribe is writing these things down, I think, again, just the Spirit of God just overwhelms him at times. And that's when suddenly we see these passages like this verse 14 through 21 here. Just a passage of, of, of praise and, and blessing at that.
Now, when we get into chapter four, he gives this call of unity within the body. Now, he's already talked about the fact that, hey, Jew and Gentile, you guys, we, we are one together in Christ. He's writing to a church that is mixed. It's got Jew and Gentile in it. Man, there is no division that should be there. And so in chapter four, he starts speaking about the unity that is there. Now, you need to understand, this unity is not at the expense of truth. You know, I can't say, well, I won't hold on to the truth so that I can get along with you. No, we need to hold on to the truth. The truth is the thing that we become unified together in. And look at what he says here in chapter four, verse one and two, and then four and six. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I know I said that I wasn't going to preach on that, but when I look at that, I think of what he has just said in these previous two or three chapters. He speaks about the calling of God in our life and the fact that, man, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, yet in the midst of that, God loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us. He's called us to himself, not by any work that I've done, but it's according to his grace that he saved us. And he says, because of that, you've got no reason to be haughty, high-minded, and prejudiced against anyone because it's God that's called you. It's God that saved you. It's nothing you're able to do yourself. That's why you and I are called to walk in unity. That's why we need to continually remember that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. No one stands above anyone else. We look down at verse, um, keep going four through six. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all y'all, okay? That's, That's what my version sometimes says. One God, a multitude of people that he brings to one faith, by one spirit for one purpose, his purposes. And he gives the purpose of our calling, again, when he places responsibility within the body of Christ. Look down in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers in order for them to be puffed up and be set above all the people. Wait a minute, that's not what it says. It's there for one reason. He has placed those areas of responsibility within the church for one reason. And that's for, as he says here in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Lord has placed within the church those in areas of responsibility in order to be able to equip the entire body in order that the entire body then, we all go out and work the work of ministry. I can ask for a raise of hands tonight and say, how many of you are ministers of the gospel? And you know what? If you know Jesus, your hand ought to go up. You don't need an ordination paper for that. You don't need Bible school for that. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are called by Christ according to his word 
to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, guys, that and about eight bucks will get you a cup of coffee down at Starbucks. But it is your calling. We are called to be ministers of the gospel. That means that I need to know what I know. That means it's my responsibility to know why I believe what I believe. I can't just claim ignorance and say, hey, that's just the way I am. No, I am called. Each one of us are called to work the work of ministry. And he says, we, we continue doing this till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he starts speaking about the responsibility that each one of us have in that walk of faith and in that walk of obedience. Look what he says there, in, uh, still in chapter four, down in verse uh, 17. He says, this I say, therefore testify to the Lord, no longer walking like the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. Down in verse 20, you've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ. And so there's a responsibility that he says in verse 22, but you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you, here's that personal responsibility that each one of us have, but you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Guys, you're not saved by any work that you do, but because you are saved, we are called to walk Again, as he says at the beginning of chapter four, that we walk according and worthy to the calling to which we're called. And part of that is to put off the old and to put on the new. And that's a process that I believe that happens not just one time, not just on a Sunday come to meeting time, not even just uh, first thing in the morning, man, I'm just gonna, like we might go in and take a shower and, and get all freshened up. But you know what, through the day, through the day even. Man, I don't know about you, but I know me, the old man keeps creeping up and I need to keep putting off that old man and then again, allowing myself to be refreshed and renewed by the spirit. Chapter five, verses one and two. I think verses one and two of chapter five set again the stage for everything that's gonna follow on until the end of the book. Listen to what he says here, chapter five, verse one and two. Therefore, Be imitators of God as dear children. That's a pretty high calling. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty high calling. Be imitators of God as dear children. And then he says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So that means that each one of us Paul is saying, each one of us ought to realize, no, I need to be a sacrifice to God. I need to, again, continually be laying my life down as a sacrifice to the Lord. And when we get that right, when we get to that point that we're walking in love as Christ loved us, 
when we're walking in a way that we're offering our lives as a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma, then, and only then, are we going to be able to, again, as, as he says here in verses uh, 3 and, and on following, that's when we'll be able to walk as children of the light. That's when we'll be able to walk circumspectfully. That's when we'll be able to redeem the time. That's when we'll be able to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's when we'll be filled with the Spirit. That's when I'll be able to, or we will be able to submit to one another. Wives submitting to husbands. Husbands loving wives. Children being obedient to your parents. Fathers not provoking their children to wrath. Bond servants or employees being obedient and faithful to your employers and employers treating your employees correctly. That's the only way that we're going to be able to fulfill all the balance of what he's saying here is if at what we see at the beginning of chapter 5, that we become imitators of God as his dear children, walking in love, and as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I believe that it sets the stage for all the rest. And as Paul sat in his private home, chained to a Roman soldier, 24-7, he had a great clarity of what that armor of that soldier looked like. He saw it every day. And so in chapter 6, down in verse 10, he makes reference to that physical armor in relationship to our spiritual armor that we all need to wear and that we all need to continually be putting on. I believe it's a continual thing that we are continually be putting that on all the time. Uh, we, we need to understand where our place is. We have to correctly place that armor on and because it does provide not only protection for ourselves, but you know what? Part of my responsibility as a believer in putting on the armor of God is that I also can help protect and stand beside you as a brother and sister. And you as a brother and sister, as we all stand together, then beloved, that's when we become a formidable force against the attack of the enemy. And it's only when you and I are rightly dressed, rightly adorned with that armor, that then we start making a change within our community and within our culture. And beloved, we need to look at that. We need to be serious about that. Then he closes it out with, with a greeting to again others. He says, uh, you may know my affairs uh, and how I'm doing. Uh, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister of the Lord, uh, he's gonna make all these things known to you. He's the one that carries the letter. Peace to you guys, grace to you all. Then we get into Philippians. Philippians is almost always described as the epistle of joy or the letter of joy. And there's a lot in this little uh, four chapters here. Uh, but just thinking of the, the joy, we find that word joy or rejoice, rejoiced, rejoicing throughout the letter. I'm gonna go through these quick, so follow with me. Chapter one, verse four, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy. Verse 18 of chapter one, 
What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Down in verse 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Chapter 2, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Verse 6, 16, hold fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I've not run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 17, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Verse 18, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Down in verse 28, therefore, I send him the more eagerly that when you see him, again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Chapter three, verse one, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Verse three, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse chapter four, verse one, therefore, my beloved, long for my, my long for brethren, you are my joy and my crown. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say, rejoice. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. It's like joy after joy after joy. Do you think these, one of two things, either this was a really pumped up church and man, they are just full of the joy of the Lord, or they were like this really down and depressed church. And Paul just had said, man, no, you guys need to joy. Come on, you need, you need to put a smile on your face. You, are you happy? Let your face know about it. You need to have that joy. Rejoice in the Lord. I think it's probably more the first though. I think that this church was probably a church that was excited about the Lord and excited about what God was doing among them. And Paul just got kind of caught up in this thing. I look at this whole book, and again, it's, it's a short book. There's not very many chapters within it. But I look at this whole book, it's like concentrated richness. And, and when I was thinking of that, I thought, of, uh, you guys know sweetened condensed milk, okay? Uh, you know, I could eat a can of that. I know I would be definitely sick. But I remember as a kid, we would make homemade ice cream, and they would put in the sweetened condensed milk. And we would always fight over who would get the can and the spoon because we would make sure that thing was bone dry by the time we threw it in. That's what I look at Philippians, this this sweetness that's there. There's a couple of really powerful sections, though, that really seem to stand out in the midst of it. And we're going to look at them really quick, really quick. Look at uh, chapter 2, and in particular, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, beloved, that'll preach. 
Okay, I mean, we could take a long time on that right now, but there's more yet. Look over in chapter three, chapter three, down in verse seven. But what things were gained to me, these, and this is after Paul has talked all about who he was in the flesh. And then he said, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. And yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. 9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible right here on The Open Word. Make us more.